But the reality is that um, starting with respect is 80% of the battle. If I understand where you're coming from, I don't make assumptions about why something occurred or didn't occur. Right. And I also understand what is it that makes you tick. And if I can show you respect and I understand what motivates you and, um, and makes you tick, uh, I'm on the path to a very good relationship with you. Welcome to Paychecks Thrive, a business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey everybody, it's Gene Marks and welcome back to another episode of the Paychecks Thrive podcast. This is actually a very special episode because I have with me Efren Rivera. Efra is now currently, currently the senior advisor to the CEO of Paychecks. But formally, and this is a few weeks before we started recording this, uh, Efren was the senior vice president and chief financial officer of Paychecks. So first of all, Efren, uh, thank you very much for having this conversation with me. Thank you, Gene. It's a pleasure and a privilege and an honor to be here. So I have to ask, one major question comes to my mind. I have spoke with a number of people at Paychecks that I am interviewing you today, and everyone loves you. And everyone, uh, there's been this common theme. A few people have called you iconic here at Paychex, and a few people have actually called you the most interesting man at Paychex. So my first question is, why are they calling you that? Uh, so I would say the iconic part is probably age more than anything else. <laughs> Nobody's so calling me iconic. Bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> and look, I, 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 first of all, you know, we were just talking, Gene. Yep. Um, Paychex is a unique company and a unique culture, and and I think it is a a supportive place, uh, and I think a place with a lot of generous people. So. Um, you know, I've been here for now 12 and a half years, and uh, I think those comments reflect the generosity of the people who made them. Less about me, more about them. A very diplomatic answer. I do think they do reflect you as well. You seem to have a lot of respect here um, and, and have been around the block a little bit, yeah. which is good. And that's what we're going to talk about. You know, when, when um, we were talking about me interviewing you for this podcast, uh, I... I was excited to do it. First of all, I am an accountant like like you in a way. Um, you are, you know, any chance I have the opportunity to to interview a, a chief financial officer of a large publicly held company, I know that there are plenty of things that I can learn. I know our audience are going to learn as well. So, so let me start out with this. First of all, so you you you're now an advisor, so you're sort of on that that golden road to retirement mm -hmm. as it is. Yeah. Um, Tell me about your background. Like, how did you arrive at Paychecks? Yeah, so um, I guess uh, the, it, going way back, uh, I started my career as a lawyer, actually, and, uh, mm. and did some work for the uh, Department of Justice in commercial litigation. I uh, enjoyed that and did well at it and um, realized that that was not where I was going to end up uh, hmm. uh, my career. So I, um, I made a, a pivot after about four or five years, and I went back, got an MBA, and uh, started my career in business. So uh, I was about 30 or so and started again. Hmm. Uh, and um, I just had a sense that um, – 
that that was the better path for me. So I went back, got an, an MBA in finance, uh, and started uh, a career at another company, a healthcare company, and rose the ranks there, through the ranks there, uh, from um, the ground up to become the chief financial officer of that company over uh, 20 years. I helped take that company private and then um, took a little bit of time in academia and then uh, was fortunate almost 13 years ago to get an invitation to join Paychex as the chief financial officer. And, um, and now I've gone full circle and uh, in, in the process of, uh, of transitioning uh, to retirement. It's been a remarkable ride during that period of sure. time where really the birth of what we would call the, the modern human capital management uh, industry began and uh, and flourished. You mentioned about you got an MBA and it was a number of years ago, yeah. but um, what are your thoughts on MBAs today? Do you think they're worthwhile? I think MBAs uh, can be uh, worthwhile. And um, I would I liken it this way, Gene. An MBA gives you a set of options that you don't have if you don't study that material. Now, okay. you can acquire that knowledge in other ways, so right. I'm not saying you can't. But I think you, you need to understand the material that's taught in most leading MBA programs because it's the bread and butter of the way business is run, and especially in the more advanced concepts around accounting and finance, uh, it's language that you need to understand, and it's material that you need to uh, have at least uh, some understanding of in order to run uh, at least larger enterprises. You um, mentioned that you, you joined Paychex 12 or 13 years ago. Um, that's like a lifetime in this world in HR. And w when you joined it, I'm, I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Paychex was still like a payroll company and it is not a payroll company like that anymore. Yeah. Is it, t tell me about the changes that you saw. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, it, it really is. It has been a dramatic transformation. And mm. I think the CEO then, Martin Musi, had the vision that the industry was going to move towards technology solutions, right. less focused on pure service. So it, when I came in, it was more delivery of service and some technology. And I think the foresight, the fundamental insight was that it was going to move to technology. There was a movement to the cloud. There was an understanding that um, these systems uh, would be run in the cloud rather than on premises. Right. And that that was the way that the service was going to be delivered. It was going to be a mixture of human interaction and technology, what came to be known as technology-enabled service. And if you didn't do that, and if you didn't make the investments to uh, permit you to function in that way, it was gonna be really, really tough. Some people didn't, some companies didn't make it. Right. Other, other companies did very, very well. But that's when that transition started to occur. Did you find it, you know, difficult? I mean, you're you're in the CFO role, but obviously we're part of the opera, big part of the operation of the company. Did you find it difficult at the time dragging your customers into this new cloud-based world? Yeah. So that that's interesting. We had an advantage that other companies did not have. So we had thousands of service providers that could help our clients 
through that transition. Right. So at first it was understanding what we provided from a technology standpoint. Then it was selling them in many respects on the new features and functionalities mm. that, that was suddenly available to them. And then it was guiding them through the process of understanding that they could do a lot of this stuff themselves and that actually they could bring to the systems that they were interacting with new ideas using what was there to customize in important respects the service and the delivery of the, the product that uh, was required for their, their business. So they had an infinite amount of new possibilities mm. in terms of what they needed for their business, whether small or large, that didn't exist before. From a financial perspective, um, you know, I, 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 you're, you were convinced at some point that moving you know, your, your, your community over to the cloud would be the right thing to do, not only just for paychecks, but, but for them as well. But at some point at the very, very beginning, you probably had to figure that out for yourself. And for companies like yours that are facing big changes, big fundamental changes in their business, what take me back to that time when you were making that change and how you got your arms around changing your, the business model of the company. What did you do? Yeah, so um, that process had started as I was coming into yeah, okay. the business. And fundamentally what it, it meant, Gene, and I think this is true whether you're a small company or a large company, it meant embracing the fact that technology would do what people did in the past. But in order for you to be able to embrace that change, you needed to invest in the technology upfront. Okay. So that's the big challenge. So you take the step of yeah. saying, there's a number of things that I currently do one way that can be done in another way. Right. It's going to require an investment. If I invest, I can see beyond current the current situation to a point where I can do it more efficiently, more effectively, more rapidly, uh, and I can service my customer better. Sure. I think that that process had started, and I give great uh, uh, I give uh, great credit to our head of technology. I was just talking with him. I gave great credit to our uh, our uh, former C CEO who understood that. Mm. But at some point, you come to that point uh, the the point where you make a decision to make the investment, thinking and believing that it's going to pay off. Every business faces that issue around how do I become more effective, more efficient. Sometimes it requires a a, a bit of a leap of faith sure. that you're going to get a payback, but you have to do it. You talk about that leap of faith. I mean, um, I was telling you before we started, like my company sells uh, customer relationship management software. I I mean. Efren, I go into some small and mid-sized businesses. Uh, they'll buy a hundred thousand dollar piece of machinery with without a blink of the eye because they know they can turn it around and you know start generating products with margin to pay for it. Um, but you know, I ask them to spend ten thousand dollars on a piece of technology, and they hem and they haul for months yeah. or even years. Yeah. You know, so you're you have a financial background. You're almost paid to be risk averse. Mm -hmm. You know, you're supposed to be the person that says these are the reasons why we shouldn't be doing this. Were you that person at the time of this fundamental change? And how were you? How were you persuaded to say, yeah, okay, this would be the right investment? Yeah, Gene, that's an interesting point. <clears throat> so uh, I think there's a perception that people who evaluate um, products, services, um, are, are look at it 
from a cost containment perspective mm. or from a cost uh, cost How it aversion. money, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, my perspective is always a little bit different, and, and, and I, would, I would turn it around a bit. I always thought that every dollar that a company generates is an opportunity to make a calculated risk about where that dollar is placed. And I think the better you become at doing that, the more successful you become in business. Yeah. So every dollar that you're generating, the bottom line, you have a choice. You can either not reinvestment, reinvest it, that's an option, of okay. course, or you can make a calculated decision about where to reinvest that dollar. And will it produce a return? Not every dollar will, but many will if you've thought through what your end goal is. And I think the best uh, organizations, the best companies, the best businesses, you go in and there's always something a little bit different yeah. about the way they, they're doing it now versus the way they did it six months ago. I think that's a good example of taking a calculated risk about where you invest your next reinvest your next dollar to produce the next dollar of uh, of return. I think good businesses figure out how to do that. Not always easy. And there's a big difference between taking a calculated risk and and gambling. Absolutely. And how did you come to terms with that yeah. risk at the time? Yeah, so I think that's that's really at the heart of how you make good decisions. Um, you have to have enough information to be able at least to frame a set of outcomes that you feel comfortable with. If, you're, if you don't have any of that information and you're simply thinking or wishing that you'll get a certain return, you're more, you're more in the realm of gambling. Yeah. If you have a set of outcomes that you think can occur and you have some basis uh, for that and you don't always have perfect information, right. you're taught that in business school. There's no such thing as perfect information. But if at, at least you can frame a set of outcomes around what this dollar for remodeling will, will, uh, will produce or this dollar of technology will produce and you can think your way to an outcome then you're in the realm of taking a calculated risk. Then you decide whether you can afford to do it and whether you want to do it. Is that the way that you've always sort of made your decisions? I mean, were you, um, I think it's Jeff Bezos who has like this attitude of like the, at Amazon, you know, that most decisions, not the giant, giant ones, but most of them are made on 80% of the, like for him, if you have 80% of that information, that's, that's enough. Are you, are you the same? Do you feel the same way or do you, are you more conservative? Uh, no, I, I, I look. It's it's uh, it's flattering to say hey, I think like uh, Jeff <laughs> Bezos, right. but <laughs> but um, I, I think that's a, that's a good rule. I, maybe you don't always get to eighty percent, but you get to seventy five. And what's interesting, Gene, is the more of those decisions you make, you start to understand where the twenty five percent didn't work. Right. And then you get better at making the kinds of decisions that are those 75 to 80% decisions, and you get better at doing them. I, I think that taking calculated risks, especially for smaller businesses where it's really, uh, really significant, that extra dollar may mean a lot, getting better at making those decisions, whether you add another product, whether you, uh, you expand something, um, um, you add another service, um, that, that becomes really, really important because I think that's what takes companies from, 
five employees to 10 employees to 20 employees to 50 employees and, and beyond. I think the businesses that do that have gotten better at making those kinds of decisions. Have you made any decisions where it was more of a leap of faith than not in your business career? And uh, one one thing strikes out in my mind, I I oftentimes meet with clients who, for example, they wanna, they wanna hire this great employee and this employee is gonna cost them $120,000 and they're not, they really can't afford it, but they think if this guy works out or this woman works out, you know, they'll pay for themselves 10 times yeah. over. But, you know, it, it goes against what you just said. It's yeah. really a leap of faith. Have you ever had to make decisions like that? It's funny that you use that <clears throat> example, Gene. So um, when I think, when I, when I think about the question you just asked, I, I frequently think about people. Yeah. And, and inevitably where it didn't go right i didn't do enough homework on the person um, my my philosophy um, uh, during my business career is that it's important to hire correctly but also develop people correctly and what that means is to invest the time in developing people right. correctly where i've made mistakes is when I've assumed that someone is capable of doing something, maybe because I uh, I saw some something in them, but didn't investigate it sufficiently, and found that they actually couldn't do what I thought they they could do, and it ended up being a, a difficult situation. So I would say around people, it's a much harder yep. set of conversations than it is about specific business decisions. The reason is you can put pencil to paper and 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 uh, and figure out what your downside is uh, and then decide whether you want to make the the decision with people it's a little bit more uh, difficult and I think there it pays to do your homework. So what have you learned about hiring people over the years? Um, I would say the number one thing that I've heard is um, uh, you hire for attitude. Um, and a little bit less for aptitude. You need I, to I do have to both. I have to interrupt you. I just I um, was just talking about this. I was at a conference and I was talking to some guy who owns a, a Windows business, and uh, he was the one. He's saying to me that that exact same thing. Like he yeah. he looks for that server in the restaurant who has that great remembers yeah. the order yeah. or with yeah. the great right. It's a, yeah. it's at you you can't teach somebody that, can you? No, and, and it's funny you say that because uh, every once in a while I'll, I'll run into someone and I'll think um, that person would be a phenomenal employee yeah. to hire. If I was hiring, I'd hire them. And what I've done, what I've done more now is I let them know that. So I will say to them, you know what? I want you to understand something that I interact with a lot of people. You are really, really great. What's amazing about that, try it, you will see a smile mm. from ear to ear. People mm. beam because mm. they don't get that feedback. Mm. And I do think that that's really, really important. I think the impact of saying something like that to particularly like a younger person that you see at, a, at the mall or at a restaurant or whatever, I, the confidence boost that it gives them. You know, and I think it's important also that yeah. you you say, you know, I, I'm the chief financial officer yeah. at a large yeah. company, and I just yeah. wanted you to know <laughs> that you really are the kind of person yeah. that yeah. I would hire. You know, yeah. I, uh, I I do that occasionally. It's life changing, and, and it is it it, it is uh, it is pretty amazing. It's, yeah, it's great. So you can't teach people attitude. Um, you know, can, can that compensate? Can attitude compensate for most? 
Do you find when you're looking? Uh, there, there are certain technical uh, technical um, uh, disciplines where where attitude is not going to going right. to substitute. If you need someone who's got deep technical expertise in IT, attitude isn't going to be enough. Right. But I would say uh, in many many uh, in many areas it is. And if you've got two people, one a little bit stronger on the technical side, one a little less uh, uh, strong on that side. But but one with a much uh, more superior attitude than the other, uh, I would lean towards that uh, that person. Um, when you interview people, um, tell me some of the things that you look for. Uh, so, um, in some ways, Gene, the conversation we're having now is is similar to the way I, I interview people. I, can tell. I love to start with people um, telling me their story. Right. Um, I I just think someone telling you your story uh, is a great way to know who they are and what motivates them in the context that you're asking uh, them about. And um, every person on the face of the earth has a unique story. Yep. And when you have that conversation with someone and you start by asking, tell me about yourself, I think that's the most powerful question you can ask a person. So you're not asking them a question about a specific fact. You're asking them about themselves. And you find people almost inevitably open up. You get a sense of who they are. Now, sometimes they don't want to open up. That that tells you something that you need to sure. know too. Sure. What do you do to motivate your team? You know, and, and you've had plenty of teams over yes, the years. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion now about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workforce. Right. And um, I think that uh, that I think the most powerful thing that you can do uh, with uh, an employee or with a colleague um, is uh, to start from a place of respect. If you show people respect, and I will I will not say that I've been a hundred percent perfect during my career. Hardly, I'm sure you can find some people who uh, who who would agree that that's the case. That I go I back to you're iconic. <laughs> you're the most interesting man at paycheck. So I'm gonna have to dig but, pretty deep. But 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 the reality is that um, starting with respect is eighty percent of the battle. If I understand where you're coming from, I don't make assumptions about why something occurred or didn't occur. Right. And I also understand what is it that makes you tick. And if I can show you respect and I understand what motivates you and, um, and makes you tick, uh, I'm on the path to a very good relationship with you. And I find that sometimes that's a very simple concept especially in the in the world of work mm. and as a manager that that people forget yeah. they just they get very task oriented and they forget about the people portion of the uh, of the equation yeah it's sometimes it's a challenge with people only because you um, you're absolutely right you want to hear the story um, you want to have a relationship with people, but then again, there, there's a line that you don't want to cross. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to be inappropriate. Yeah. You don't want to get too personal, right. um, and that's just an issue that, as managers, we have to deal with. The uh, there's a balancing act there, and right. and some people don't don't want you to get too right. you know uh, up close and personal, and and you have to respect that. That's why I say, come from a place of respect. Understand right. what motivates the person. You'll 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 get off. 
on the right foot. Okay. All right, let's pivot a little bit. You 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 didn't mention the company, but I can mention it. You you were with like almost 20 years at Bausch & Lomb, right. correct? So, um, and you were in charge of their treasury, correct? Treasury and then eventually the CFO. And eventually the CFO. So, let's talk about treasury and managing money and get a little bit more practical yeah. for those of us running yeah. businesses. Uh, you and I are speaking right now. It's very late in 2023. Interest rates are... Um, as high as they've been in the past 20, 30 years, uh, we are um, finally, um, people can put money in, in, in accounts and actually get a return on their, on their money. from. If you were running a business and you had excess cash right now, give us some advice on what you would do with it. So um, I think you need to distinguish uh, two parts of that okay. question. Um, to the extent that um, the cash was required for short-term uh, purposes, um, it's very clear, as you said, that we're in a great place from the standpoint of short-term interest rates. And, and I would say that's next six to nine months. Certainly, it, it looks like that's what, what we're uh, dealing with. Um, there's lots of very safe instruments uh, in which to put your cash as a business, uh, government uh, government funds, government money market funds. Money market funds actually are paying rates that are actually attractive. Yeah. That's a great place to, uh, uh, to put excess funds in your business. If you have a little bit longer uh, time frame, um, actually, uh, bonds, mm. uh, it's certainly intermediate term bonds, also look pretty attractive. So locking in for longer makes a lot of sense in this environment. Who knows when the Fed is going to start to adjust its, um, its thinking on what the rate of interest rates should be. But it looks like at least for the intermediate term, they want to keep rates higher if you have excess funds and you don't need them short term, it's a good time to start thinking about maybe putting them in intermediate uh, term funds and uh, and making sure that they're good uh, credit quality, but locking in those rates for longer. Do you have any thoughts on certificates of deposit? CDs are, are <clears throat> a positive way to, uh, to also um, uh, lock in your money. What, what I would say on CDs is, uh, the reason I said intermediate uh, term funds is you've got better liquidity on some of those intermediate mm -hmm. term funds than CDs, which lock you in for a specific uh, term. Not a bad idea if you don't need it to lock it up. That's fine. And, and banks are paying, uh, at least when I open the paper now, uh, um, you, you see rates that are in excess of 5%. Yep. So, so there's it, it's hard to go wrong. It depends on your access to the cash and when you need it. Earlier this year, uh, there was some concern over the banking system. Mm. Um, some of the, you know, some banks were, you know, got into financial trouble from some some decisions that they made that didn't turn out the right way. Um, you're at Paychex, and even at Bauschlam, I mean, you're managing, yeah. you know, a large amount of money. Um, how do you manage that risk? Yeah. So um, that's a very uh, a very good question. Um, and I think most companies, larger companies, face the same yes. issue. And frankly, some medium-sized companies face the small uh, businesses the, also the same are, right, issue. Right, yeah, right. right. Um, so um, I, I do think that um, it's important to pay attention to the credit rating of the banks that you deal with, especially if you have uh, funds deposited in in those banks. You have FDIC protection to a certain extent, but it's not. 
Uh, it's not um, sometimes uh, all of the money that you might have uh, deposited with the bank. I think that there are commercial services that give you a sense of or, or publish the credit ratings of the banks that you deal with. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important to uh, keep an eye out on uh, on what's happening with those banks. You're right. Earlier in the year, there was concern about mid-tier banks. Yep. And many of them deal with small and medium-sized businesses. So that was creating a bit of a uh, uh, a credit crunch. Um, it seems like that's abated a bit. Yep. But it's always a good idea to think about the bank that uh, that you're doing business with and pay attention to their credit rating. And do you have any aversion? And do you at Paychex or did you at Bauschalom, do you, do you spread the money around different banks? There used to be a time yeah. where you were only loyal to one bank yeah. and it seems like that's sort of a thing of the past. No, I, I think you have to diversify. You know, one of the things that uh, that um, as a as a finance professional, you uh, you understand like a bedrock principle is that diversification in general is good. Right. And so uh, I think when it comes to banks, the same thing um, uh, applies at at uh, Bashalam and also at, at Paychex. We deal with a variety of banks now at our size, mostly the larger money center banks. So um, and most of the names that everyone knows. But I think the same thing would apply if you're a small, medium sized business and you have excess funds that uh, that you need to either invest or you're dealing with uh, with um, uh, a need to have um, multiple banks. Uh, make sure to diversify. Great. Uh, Efren, uh you know the the economy obviously has been um, relatively strong when we looked at GDP and unemployment. Um, yet there are a lot of business owners that are continue to struggle. You know, small business optimism is still at low levels you know, according to the to the NFIB. Um, there was a report in the New York Times just a week or two ago about how many economists got things wrong <laughs> over the past few years about inflation and whether it's going to be a yeah. recession. And do you, I mean, look, you've been in this game for a while, yeah. you know, how much stock do you, I'm going to, this is a multi-part question. I mean, how much stock do you put into the economists? What, what do you watch for in the economy yeah. so that you can go to your boss and say, you know what, I'm getting, I'm getting the feeling things are going to take a downturn and we might want to yeah. you know, take some action. What do you well, do? That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting point, Gene. So I, I would distinguish between two things. Okay. What, you're, what you're hearing on, from Wall Street and what you're hearing on Main Street. And I do think that the best balance comes from listening to both. There's an expression, uh, don't fight the Fed. If you're in an environment where interest rates are ratcheting up, you need to pay attention to that. That can have the potential impact of slowing the economy. Right. But on the other hand, if you look at Main Street and you look around your town and you see that business is actually doing very well, in some ways for you, that's a more important indicator than what you're hearing coming from Wall Street. So I think you need to balance both of those. Yeah. Economists are notoriously wrong sometimes. <laughs> uh, it's very, I, I would say, it's very difficult to call precisely when something is going to sharply turn right or left. I do think you need to pay attention to it. Some of that stuff can't be ignored. What the Fed does has 
an impact on the economy. On the other hand, what's going on on Main Street, what you're seeing, the activity that yeah. uh, that's occurring, also counts for a lot. And I think that over the last two to three years, you've seen that. There's been a lot of discussion around small and medium-sized businesses struggling during this environment. Actually, they've, they've done quite well because there was a lot of demand uh, pent up and, uh, and consumers continue to spend. Do you think now is a good time to start up a business? You know, Gene, I, I'll answer that uh, uh, in, in this way. One it depends. The, <laughs> no, 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 no. It, you know, it, it, of course it depends, right? Um, one of the interesting things that was an outcome of the pandemic was in 2020, um, you know, we all know the world kind of came to a halt there in, in, in March, April of 2020. And I remember we were we were together in a room fig, trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. As so soon as the, the summer, NBA shut down, that was right. That was the end of the world. That's right. <laughs> what was surprising was that in that summer, that uh, that summer of 2020, we saw some of the greatest growth in entrepreneurship that we've seen in, in in the country's history. That's true. Uh, and we were kind of looking at each other, wondering why. There's probably um, many, many academic papers and books that could be written on the subject, but the reality was that here's a situation where you would think people would be completely risk-averse and not start business, yet they were starting it at levels that we hadn't seen in a while. I think it's uh, the great thing about the economy is there's always an opportunity for a great idea. So I would say this this time, just like any other time, is a great time to start a business if you have a great idea. If you have a great idea, uh, now no no time better than the current one. Well, let, so let me ask you, you're, you're, well, you're semi-retiring, you're the advisor, <laughs> ultimately you'll be retired. Yeah, and yeah. let's just say you start getting, you start getting itchy and yeah. you know, you're like, you know, I, I wouldn't mind starting up my own business. What yeah. would you start up? Um, so I actually have uh, thought about this. Um, and, I think uh, every person I meet that works for companies yeah, has thought yeah, about this, yeah. you know, because it's always, yeah. you know, what's life on the other side? Right. Um, so I'm invested, invested in a number of, of, of businesses, including uh, um, at least one small business. I would like to start a, a small investment firm that invests in, in other other businesses with uh, entrepreneurs that have good ideas. So that's uh, that's where I'll put some focus, in, and I'll be very selective. Sure, I, I want to see the good idea, but um, I I'm very interested in that. What would make you invest in one of those companies? Yeah. And you, I mean, do you have much experience doing that before? You have a lot of experience working with small businesses. Yeah. So what, what would attract you to invest? So I've had a lot of experience um, uh, evaluating companies, meeting with, uh, with entrepreneurs, uh, acquiring companies. I was too. just going to say, this is because through Paychex, yeah, for example, you guys have made yeah, investments. And, you have and bought companies. Prior, and then personally, too. Yeah, okay. Um, I think it's always a combination of two things. Okay. Um, and um, the, the one is a good idea. And... Um, if you've got good experience in a particular area and you know a certain domain, you know what's a good idea. You know what could resonate in the market, but that's not enough. So you um, said there are two things, but bef just before you go on to the second yeah. thing, does, does it have to be a new idea to no. be a good idea? No, no. It just has to be a better a idea. A better idea. A better yeah. idea. And yeah. I think some of the, the, the best ideas are just 
better ideas than the ones that exist. Yeah, they, they take an existing business and they say, we could be doing that same thing, That's, but we could be doing it absolutely. better. Absolutely. And right. and the second thing is, who is the person driving it? Right. Do, does that person have a passion right. and interest? Do they... Uh, are they a good steward of the idea? Right. And are they someone that you can uh, have confidence will uh, will execute the idea? That doesn't guarantee success, no. by the way. I want to make sure to, to say that great ideas fail all the time. But I think that uh, there's a great uh, term in the law that I, I, I use uh, quite a bit, which is necessary and sufficient conditions. Right. Those are sufficient conditions. You need those to make it work. They're not necessary. You can have a great idea, great entrepreneur, doesn't necessarily work, but you need those to really make it a very good idea that, that can resonate in the How market. do you get around the issue where you have a, an entrepreneur that's starting up a business and they're, most of them are, are good at one, th I mean, no offense, yeah. you're you're great on the financial yes. side. I don't know how great a salesperson yes, you would be, correct. or you know, or even a, a CEO of a large yeah. company. Yeah. How do you how do you um, handle that if you're meeting your potential, you know, investee? So um, you have to understand, uh, get a sense of what the person is good at, right? And whether they can be good working with others who can be complementary to their skills. Right. I think it's really underrated. Um, some people have the ability to surround themselves with people who complement their skills and they, they have low ego requirements. Sure. And if you can do that and you can attract those kinds of people, uh, you can be successful. Even if you don't have all of the skills, no one is a jack of all trades. You always have one thing that you're better at than, than other things. But it, can you attract other people who've got complementary skills? That That's a skill in itself. This goes back to even our conversation about hiring people, yeah. right? About having that yeah. right attitude yeah. and, and the right way to approach a problem. In, in, no, in no case during, in no time during this whole conversation about startups or what you would invest in, have you even mentioned financials? Yeah. And it, 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 why? Um, in some ways, because it's uh, it's implicit. Okay. Um, the uh, if you're going to make an investment versus making uh, a gamble, you have done some work around what the level of dollars or level of investment you're going to make. Right. You, you never make more of an investment than you can stand to lose. That's right. part of the way investing works. Um, and so there's an assumption that uh, you have calculated the risk that you're willing to take. So that's a baseline assumption. Then then the issue is, can you find the good idea and can you find the, the good person? But you've done your homework before that to say, this level of investment makes sense. I'm actually going through that in in, uh, in one of the businesses that I'm involved that with. You're th that you're thinking of investing. Yes, yes. Um, and is this, we, you don't have to give away uh, details, but is this, yeah. is this an existing business? It is, okay. yes, it is. Because yes. that's that was leading me to the next question. So if you are evaluating an existing business that you are thinking of investing in, yeah. and they show you their financial statements or even their tax returns, yeah. um, as somebody who's been doing this for a number of years, what, what are you looking for in a financial statement? What tells you that it's strong or weak or... Neither. Well, you look at the progression of revenue in okay. the business. That's one thing. You look at what the progression of revenue could be with um, additional marketing, for example, additional sales uh, investment, 
but could it could it scale to more than it is now? That'll determine how much you want to uh, invest, and then you look at what's what what we call in finance or in economics. What's the marginal return on the next dollar invested? Put right. another way, if I put a dollar in today and the business is functioning the way I want it, how much profit does it generate? Mm. Um, because uh, <laughs> That's something that you need to understand around the business. Because otherwise you could put the money in a money market Absolutely. account. Absolutely. Right? Yes, that's right. You're competing against actually putting your money in a bank account. Yeah. Now, that's that's more complicated. Yeah, because the interest rate return yeah. makes yeah. it a harder decision. Right. What kind of an investor would you be? Are you involved in my business or are you stand off? Or what, what, I, what can uh, I expect from you? I'm somewhere between... Um, uh, let you do what you do, because that's part of the evaluation that I had around whether you could do it, and being supportive so that I can uh, bring some value to the decisions that you make. If I have to run the business, it's my business. <laughs> it's probably not an investable idea. Okay, I got you. Uh, let's bring this back around to where we started, which is Paychex and yep. your career here yep. at Paychex. And you were here during a transformative time for the company, moving to the cloud and, yeah. and changing their entire technology infrastructure for doing that and the thoughts that were involved. Um, where, do, where does Paychex go from here? Where does the HR, an HR leader like this company, what, what do you expect this company to look like 10 years from now? Yeah, I, I would say, uh, Gene, when, when we started 12 years ago, we were much more uh, payroll HCM centric. Right. So, um, and when I say payroll HCM centric, more on the payroll than, than yep. the HCM. Um, I think we've been on a journey of transformation um, that has led us from uh, payroll to HCM to more H HR dominant. I, I would say that when I, I look at what small and medium sized businesses, where they what, what they ask us about, and where they derive uh, value from the services we provide. It's really around HR. Yes, it is. And uh, I think that the technology that is coming into play, things like uh, uh, AI, uh, generative AI, has an opportunity to transform the kinds of services that we deliver to small and medium-sized businesses. And that set of questions, that set of opportunities that is created by that technology is significant. So I see paychecks in the next 10 years being very, very HR-centric, um, uh, providing high-level expertise and advisory services to our clients. And I see those uh, see us being an essential partner with those clients to help them do the things that they need to move their business forward. So I see a lot of technology, a lot of AI. I see a lot of advisory services helping our clients to succeed. So helping the, the three-person client become a five-person client, become a 20% client, becoming a 100-person client. And Efren, um, as you as you start your journey on the next fifty years of retirement, um, <laughs> how do you how do you expect the world to be? The economy itself, obviously, there's you know there's challenges, uh, there's wars going on around. There's always, and you know what? I mean, come on, you're at an age like me, like you've seen a lot of this stuff before. Yeah, yeah. 
And we've only lived for a, an instant on Earth, let yeah. alone civilizations yeah. before us. What's your overall outlook about the world? Yeah, I, I, I'm an optimist. I, I think that what's so. uh, unusual about the, the country that we live in is that um, uh, for all the challenges that we face um, through, uh, through our history, we found solutions to the challenges that, that face us. And we've faced much greater challenges than the ones that we face now. I think as long as people are given the freedom, the ability to uh, to form and to shape their own destiny and to succeed on their terms, I think we're going to be fine. We'll find solutions to problems that we don't know, don't know exist uh, uh, right now. And I think that we'll do it in pretty remarkable ways. I, I think there's lots of great things coming uh, coming in the future that uh, right now are a little bit hard uh, to understand. At the beginning of the 1900s, who could have imagined that 1900 to 2000 would be what it was? I think we're in a similar point now, especially with respect to, to technology. I'm not a, a, a person who believes that technology will solve all problems. I think human beings plus technology will solve a lot of problems. Efren Rivera is now the senior advisor to the CEO at Paychex. He was formerly the senior vice president and chief financial officer of the company. And, and he will always be the most interesting man at Paychex, according to many of the people that have worked with him. Efren, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Gene. It was a real pleasure. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychecks Incorporated 2023, all rights reserved.